So everybody, I'm glad you're here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, group of guests, boys, uh, Rocky men's Rocky basketball team. Where are you guys at? Right there. I see my friend, Coach Billy D. Billy D. You guys, I want you to know, I want you to know, I come to your games partly to watch you and partly to watch your coach. Because he is into it. I'll just put it that way. So guys, welcome. I'm going to take you out to lunch afterwards, okay? Um, everybody else, I'm glad you're here. Even if you don't play basketball, I'm still glad you came. Even if you don't know where you stand spiritually, we're really happy you came. We hope this is a place where you can explore your faith. And for those of us who have made a decision that, yes, we're following Jesus, we hope this is a place where you continue to learn to follow him step by step. So we're starting a new series, and we're calling it Spirit. Okay, spirit. And I, I want to show you this graphic right here. Hopefully you can see this. And so this word above, triquetra, triquetra. So it's one of our ancient languages. And what it refers to is this symbol. Okay, but you may have seen this symbol. Actually, I've seen some people who have tattoos. It was adopted by other groups. Um, Gaelic people use it and they, it refers to the three elements, but let me tell you about the actual his historical roots of this symbol, okay? This symbol was one of the earliest symbols that designated the Christian church. Some of you guys have seen fish on the back of cars. Well, notice that these are fish without the tails, and they put the three together as an unending line to signify this, that God was three in one, the triune nature of God. And we knew this symbol existed in the 300s and the 400s, and Christians used it in their meeting places before they built church buildings. Somebody with a large house would open up their house, and that's where they would have their, their gatherings. But interestingly enough, 79 AD, anybody remember what cities destroyed in a dramatic fashion? Pompeii. Pompeii. 79 AD, the city is just covered in ash, and so everything is incredibly well preserved. And guess what they find? This is 46 years after Jesus left the planet. The local homes that hosted churches had this symbol. This symbol where people would go, oh, you worship that God who is three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so we realize this symbol has been around a long time because this whole idea of Trinity, that God is three but one, is unique. In fact, one of the main forms of opposition that the early church faced is people said, you're polytheistic, meaning you worship multiple gods. Then the church would say, oh, no, 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 no. We worship one God, but he's a big God. And even when he introduces himself in Genesis chapter 1, he says this. When he's about ready to make humanity, he says, let us make mankind in our image. God refers to himself in the plural. And so we see throughout the Bible as God is revealing himself, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So over the next several weeks, we're going to focus on this aspect of God, the Spirit. What does that mean? And some of us, you're like thinking right now, like finally, like let's get going. This is going to get good. He's going to talk about the Spirit. Let's get crazy around here, okay? I'll probably disappoint you. Some of us, you, you had like some exposure to something on TV or a church and you're like, oh no, if he gets weird, I'm out. Like, I don't know where this is going. Hang in there, hang in there. And then some of us, it's my favorite group because you're a blank slate. You're like, what's the big deal? Who's the spirit? 
um, because we just don't know anything about it. So here's what our goal is over the next several weeks. Let's try to have a biblical perspective. Okay, that, whenever we study the Bible together, we're trying to, not my opinions, not theology, not doctrine, but a biblical perspective to the best of our ability regarding the spirit. What does that mean? Now, has anybody in the room ever been confused by the Trinity? <laughs> Have you ever tried to explain it to somebody? <laughs> Merville. Merville's trying to get his pastor's license right now. Yeah, me too. Um, I grew up, my parents went through this dramatic experience and we started going to church all the time. And I remember like, Trinity, what is that? The word Trinity isn't actually in the Bible. Um, and so I remember the Sunday school teacher had these illustrations. And the first one they had was an egg. They showed me the egg and they said, this is like God. There's the shell there's the white and there's the yolk and broke the egg and said it's one egg. But I was like, okay, I kind of get that. And they showed me an apple and they cut the apple and they go, there's the skin and there's the meat and there's the core. It's an apple, but there's three aspects. Okay, okay. Um, and then when I got a little older, it was water, water, help you understand. The water can be in a solid state when it's frozen. It can be in a gas state when it's and uh, been boiled or evaporating, and then it can be just typical water as well. I thought, okay, okay. I don't know if any of those help us to fully comprehend the nature of God being three in one, not three separate things, but three in one. But I think that most of us, even, even if you're not really familiar with the Bible, we could probably have a conversation about what it means for God to be the Father, and what it means for God to be the son, because we talk about Jesus, but we'd have a little bit more difficult time explaining what it means for God to be spirit. And what exactly does that mean? So we're going to jump into this, and I want to do a little bit of a background first. Here's our big word we're gonna, I'm going to introduce you to, waiting, waiting. Okay, in Acts chapter 1, the people are waiting. Anybody in the room just love to wait? It's like one of your favorite things in the world. You go to a store and you're like, I think that's going to be the longest line. <laughs> I anticipate there's three check writers in front of me. Like, <laughs> this is good. No, nobody likes to wait, okay? But one of the very first things that Jesus did after he had died and he'd been resurrected is he told his followers to wait. Because something was coming that was going to change everything. Okay, so Jesus has appeared after his resurrection. I mean, think of the emotions that they were involved in. They, they followed Jesus. They surrendered everything. They thought, here's God. He's going to change it all. They watch him die on a cross. They think it's over. Three days later, he shows up again. He's got this brand new body. They recognize him as Jesus, but it's different. Like he just shows up in a room. He can walk through a wall but not fall through a floor. That is awesome. <laughs> he can eat, but he's not contained. Like he's different. And by the way, that's going to be your resurrected body one day and my resurrected body. And it's not going to hurt. It's not going to get old or wrinkled. It's going to be good. So Jesus has been showing, and he's showing up and he's just been talking to the people. He's just been teaching them. And so we're going to read from Acts chapter 1 and then we're going to jump into Acts 2 in just a moment. Acts chapter 1, the idea of waiting. He, Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. So it's a command. 
do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Gift. I think this word is essential for us to understand. God is giving us a gift. A gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Jesus says, I want you to go and wait. I actually want your anticipation level to build. Because here's what's happened in the past. As John's baptized you in water, we've been a part of this. We have, it's one of my favorite things we do around here. This wall somehow, whoever designed it was brilliant. If you ever notice that wall like magically pushes back and there is a baptismal tank back there that is warm water. I've done a lot of baptisms in the Yellowstone River. I always look forward to these, okay? The wall pushes back. And what do we say to somebody? You've heard it. If you've been around at all, that you are buried with Christ and raised to new life. Because baptism says this, that Jesus died in your place. You're included. His, he paid for your own mistakes. And now you're resurrected. You're made new because of what he's done. So it's baptism and, and it's immersion. Now Jesus says that that's important. But here's what's going to happen. You are actually now going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? Jesus uses this word, baptizo, baptizo in the Greek language. And some of you may have heard me say this before, but I think it's so important. It's used in two primary ways in the first century in the Greek language. Okay, baptizo, used in two primary ways. It's used, first of all, in the dyeing of garments. Dyeing of garments. So almost everything in the Middle East is made out of wool. Okay, so you took your garment and wool comes, it's kind of a dingy white color, right? So you would weave a new garment, but if you wanted it to be transformed, if you didn't want it to be dingy white, you dyed it. So minerals, whatever was available, you would make a vat full of dye and you would take this garment and you would submerse the garment into the dye. You'd stir it around, you'd wait the appropriate amount of time and when you would pull that garment out, it was now purple or red or yellow or whatever you wanted it to be. And it wasn't just a covering. It wasn't a covering. When you baptize something, baptizo, it infiltrated the very fibers of that material, right? It went at the core. You could wash it and it stayed the same color. So Jesus is saying, when the spirit comes, you're going to be infused with the spirit. You're going to come out different. The other way that this word baptizo is used is in pickling recipes. Okay, pickling recipes. You take a cucumber and you infuse it. You baptize it into the vinegar and the spices and you wait a little while and when it comes out, it's not the same. It has been infiltrated by what you put in that jar. And so this is the exact same phrase Jesus uses. He says, listen, you were, you were buried with Christ, raised a new life, becoming just want you to wait for it. Wait for it. God is going to infuse you, submerse you, infiltrate you with my spirit. And so they're patiently waiting as Jesus commanded them. And Jesus has said this, and when the spirit comes, here's what's going to change. You will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
the city where they're, they're, they're located, Judea, the region, Samaria, dealing with people that speak a different language and think differently, and then to the ends of the earth. But none of that will happen. Your empowerment will not happen until this moment when God's gift is given to you. So let's jump ahead one chapter. And we're going to read about this event that Jesus said he wanted them to anticipate. Acts chapter 2. Let's read it together. When the day of Pentecost came, pause there for a moment. Penta, five, okay? Pentecost was a celebration. We'll talk about it in a moment. Celebration, it came 50 days after Passover. Jesus died at Passover. So remember, he had taught them for 40 days, right? And now it's 10 days later, and they've been waiting. And now it's the Feast of of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, as Jesus had asked them to be. Suddenly, now the guy writing this is Luke. Luke is a historian. He's a medical doctor. He's a Greek. He's brilliant. But notice the language he uses. He's like, I can't exactly tell you what happened, but I'll do my best. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be, don't know exactly how to describe this, but seemed to be tongues of fire. Anybody visualizing that right now? Like, ah, what? A tongue of fire? Tongues of fire that separated, so it comes down collectively, and then it began to separate and came to, notice this word, rest, stayed there on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. This this saturated thing that we were just talking about. And here's the third thing that happens. They begin to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem because of the Feast of Pentecost. People came, they journeyed from all over the Roman Empire. They'd come to the temple to celebrate Pentecost. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. This is going to be an international event. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Now what we might miss here is this is a cut. This is a cut. So the original disciples were all from Galilee. Galilee is in the northern kind of central area of Israel. The Lake of Galilee is there. That's where Jesus spent most of his time. And here's what we know about Galileans is they were pretty simple folk. They had a unique accent. They even spoke Aramaic in a unique way. And they, were, they kind of were the brunt of jokes. Have you, anybody ever been to West Virginia? I've been to West Virginia and this lady was talking to me and I know it was English. And I was like, Excuse me? Okay, so they had this unique language. They were considered simpletons. And they're like, what is happening here? These are Galileans. They're the people that don't get out much. And they're speaking all of these languages fluently from all of our native places. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, these are all the places. If you look at a map covers the whole Roman Empire. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. This is now North Africa. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, 
headed towards the Middle East. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter, who's been afraid, he just denied Jesus three times uh, 50 days before, stood up with the 11, the 11 apostles, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So if you looked in the Old Testament, there were all these prophets that would say one day, hang on, have hope. God's going to do something. He goes back to the prophet Joel. This has been written hundreds of years before. This is the quote from Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on not just the unique, the gifted, the kings, the generals, on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, meaning they'll speak truth directly from God. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. This is not going to be limited by age or gender. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Oh, I love that verse. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Ladies and gentlemen, this is very important. It's for people who live in the year 2019. This wasn't just a moment. This wasn't a time. This wasn't an event that happened historically. He says, no, no, this is, this is for his church. This is for his followers, for all, who call, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000, remember that number, 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's church growth right there. One sermon, 3,000 people. You got to love it. Here's the question I want to ask. If you were in that room, you were a first century Jewish man, first century Jewish woman, and this phenomenon takes place. Wind, fire, and languages. What is going on? What did they understand was happening? Let's break this down. Let's talk about those three things. Number one, let's talk about wind. 
Why in the world, out of all the things that could have happened, is there a sound of a mighty rushing wind? It's the windiest place you've ever been. A lot of you are thinking Livingston or North Dakota, right? <laughs> or Judith Gap. You know, anywhere where they put the big, yeah, yeah. You put that windmill here for a reason, and they're cooking. Wind is interesting, isn't it? Because you can't actually see the wind. Can't. It's air rushing from one place to another. Can you experience the impact of it? Can you see it carrying something? But wind, by its very nature, is air moving from one place to another, can have a profound impact, but you can't see it. So here they are in this room. And can you imagine? They're just waiting. They're waiting. I've heard that a tornado sounds like a freight train. People don't even know what it is. It's a roar. And suddenly it's a sound and they think, what is happening? Jesus has a conversation in John chapter 3 with a man named Nicodemus about the wind. The wind. So Nicodemus is a trained theologian. In fact, he's professional clergy. He studies this book. He gives people's answers. Uh, that's what he does for a living. But he, he's just flummoxed by Jesus. You talk about God in a way I can't talk about. You do these miraculous things. You're, you're so unique. So because he's afraid of being judged, because Jesus is kind of like, you've taken this illegitimate path to being a rabbi or a teacher, he comes to Jesus in secret at night and he says, What's the deal? What's going on? This is what Jesus says to him. Notice how he's going to talk about wind, wind in this answer. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Okay? Spirit, wind. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So the, the word wind in Hebrew, ruach, ruach. It's the same word for breath. Okay, there's no separate word for breath. So is wind, it's breath, it's all one and the same. If you were in that room, in the first century. Here's one of the things that you fundamentally held on to. You held on to this, that what made human beings different than the rest of the animal kingdom was what we read about in Genesis chapter two, the second chapter in the Bible. So God has made creation. In chapter two, he takes Adam. It says he formed Adam out of the dust of the earth. So out of nothing, he creates something. The unique aspect to humanity was this, is that God bent over Adam, who's a biological entity, just like the other animals at that point. And he, in this intimate moment, says that he breathes his ruach, his breath, his wind, into Adam's nostrils, and Adam becomes a living being. It's the wind of God. So Hebrews held on to this idea. What makes us unique in all the earth out of all the created living organisms, is that human beings have the breath of God. It's his spirit, his wind. It abides in us. 
The problem is, it's the breath of God, the wind of God, this eternal aspect that was created, placed in the humans, have been lost through rebellion and sin. We had exhaled, we lost it. Part of what is happening in Acts chapter two is this. This is a new creation story. This is a group of people who are in a room and they have been forgiven by what Jesus did on the cross. They now have an eternal security in heaven because of Jesus' resurrection. But they're missing life. They're hiding in a room. So God is breathing, as he breathed into Adam, the sound of the ruach, the wind of God is breathing and the church becomes a living being in this moment. And God is still breathing into human beings. Those of us who feel lifeless, we feel powerless, we feel insignificant. Here's the thing that makes you different is that you can be born twice. You were born once. In a human way. But God says, let me breathe my spirit into you again so that you can become a living being. What you were always meant to be. Alive spiritually. The wind of God flowing into your lungs. So that you would be alive. You know, we divide up the world typically into two categories. Okay, two categories. Rational and Irrational. Irrational, makes sense, and especially since like the enlightenment and scientific discovery, we, we want the world to be rational. And then we say there are certain things that are irrational, meaning it's against rationale, okay? So somebody, you're, you're acting just out of your emotions or something like that. You're saying you're acting irrational a little bit. Um, young men in the room plan to get married. I learned, it's not a great phrase to say to your wife. You're irrational right now. It feels real. Okay. So rational and irrational. And part of, I think a lot of people, some of us in the room, we struggle with faith even because we're like, I, prove it to me. Like, give me an equation that proves God's existence. Give me something. Like, I just need to see it because we have a rational world. You know, the rest of the world, if you travel around the globe, they don't just see it as rational, irrational. They add something different, okay? Transrational. Trans means beyond. So this is beyond my ability to comprehend and understand. Part of what is happening, part of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus is this. Listen, Nicodemus, you're a great student of this book. You, you have it memorized. You've looked at it backwards and forward. But there is something that is happening here that goes beyond your capacity to understand and the world isn't just rational and irrational. There are things. Here's one of the things that I absolutely love about God. And one of the things that I think is unique about whenever we study the spirit is it can be a little vague. It can be a little confusing. It can be like wind and fire and what? Because there are things that are just bigger than this cranium can comprehend. I am cognitively limited. And if I could understand everything about God, that would be a very disappointing God. He had better be filled with awe and mystery and things that just make me go, what? Because that means he is the creator of all. Part of it, as we look at this study, just, just think with me for a moment. Don't just divide up the world into rational and irrational. Are there some things that are bigger than 
my ability to understand. I think the wind is one of those. So we've got the wind, God breathing into his church life. Then we've got the fire. Tongues of fire. I mean, anybody, as I was reading that, you're actually picturing, it's like, okay, so fire falls through the roof. It's kind of collective. And then it divides up. Can you imagine if that happened right now? If fire like rested on, you think it's on you, but you can't see, it's kind of like that game, guess who I am. But you look at your neighbor and they've got a little fire on their head, a tongue of fire, what'd you do? Like if it looked like they used a lot of hair product, you might, yeah, oh, no, psh, psh. like what, what, do you, what, is, what is happening? What is happening? So remember they're there for the Feast of Pentecost? Well, to understand this, we're going to have to go back to the Feast of Pentecost. So the Feast of Pentecost happened once a year. It had been for centuries. Jews came all the way back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost was this. Pentecost, remember the day when the uh, people had fled Egypt. They're out in the desert. They're at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is desert. There's a mountain in the middle of the desert. And Moses climbs up Mount Sinai and God gives him the law. The law. The Ten Commandments in particular. You can read about this in Exodus 24 through 34. And so the people, hundreds of thousands of them, are waiting below. Moses goes up, and guess what's on top of the mountain? Fire, clouds, smokes, rumbling. And Moses is up there for 40 days. 40 days. And, and they're like, what in the world is happening? So finally they're like, he's gotten burned up there. There's no way. Like we need a new God, one that is not as transrational we need one that's predictable. We need got one that we can control. And so they're like, hey, the Egyptians worship cows. Let's worship a cow. Sound good, everybody? And so they take all their jewelry earrings, they melt it down, and they form a golden calf. And now they're worshiping a calf. Here's the beauty about any idol. You get to determine what it does. It blesses me. It makes me happy. It watches over me. And so they're worshiping the golden cow. Now, 40 days later, here comes Moses. Anybody seen the movie? It's in your mind. Cecil B. DeMille, right? He's got his two stone tablets. God's written with his very finger on both sides. Moses comes down, sees they're worshiping a cow. It's like, what is happening? Throws the tablets down. They are destroyed. God has to redo that part. And the result of their rebellion, 3,000 people are killed. 3,000 people are killed. Fire has always represented the very presence of God. One man, Moses, experiences fire on the top of Mount Sinai. For that, he experiences fire at the burning bush. Fire led the people through the desert when they were escaping slavery. When they're terrified at night, it says a pillar of fire appeared and it gave them comfort and gave them direction. Here's what this would have meant to Jews God's fire was only for Moses. And now it's separated and his presence has come to rest on each of us. Throughout the Bible, the spirit in the Old Testament, the spirit came upon, that's the phrase that's always used, came upon a judge or a prophet for a moment in time to equip them to do an assignment. But then it left, it left. This is the first time in the whole Bible where the spirit of God comes upon someone and it stays.
it stays. We're not just commemorating the giving of the law. We're now commemorating that God has given his spirit and it came upon me and it rested on me. It's the very presence of God now woven into the fabric, the baptism of human life. And rather than 3,000 people dying today, what happens? 3,000 people become alive. It's the change. It's the next step in Pentecost. And there's a final element. Final element. It's these languages. These languages. And a bunch of you have questions about it, and we'll address some of that in the future. But in this specific instance, it's people. <laughs> Has anybody ever tried Rosetta Stone? Come on, it's okay. Like, I want to learn languages, right? And so I buy it, and it like, works for a little while, and then I give up. <sighs> Claro KC. You know, I've got a little bit, but can you imagine being in a room, God's breathing into the room, God's presence is falling on you. Men, women, boys, girls, the intelligent, the not so intelligent, it doesn't matter, it's indiscriminate, it's God on people. And then the next thing you say is a fluent phrase in a language that you never learned. How many people would love that? Change where you go on vacation, right? It's like, this is awesome. What's happening here? You know the last time that God did something with a mass of people pertaining to language? Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, ninth chapter in the Bible. God had asked humanity to spread throughout the planet. He says, just go. I want you to care for creation. I want you to go and create places that are peaceful and beautiful. I want you to be my emissaries. But they didn't want to do it, so they huddled together. Genesis chapter 9 is the story of the Tower of Babel. So they all come together and they're like, you know what? We feel insecure. Let's build a corporate tower and we'll make a name for ourselves. We'll create security for ourselves. And here's the third aspect of our tower. We're going to reach God. Through human endeavor and effort, we'll build something that's so significant that we'll attain God, right? It's the story of every religion. Religion is let's build something. Let's achieve something. Let's do more. Let's try harder so we can reach God. And so God's looking down, and he says, ay, ay, ay. Um, that's not going to work. I told you to go. I told you to care for the earth. So he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to cause your languages to be confused. They all spoke one language. Sign of an empire is always they have one language. So God says, all right, here we go. We're going to change this. You're going to get back on assignment. So in the middle of the building project, one guy's like, hey, hand me that rock. And the other guy's like, what did you say? Like, what'd you say? I don't know, what'd you say? Like they're just yelling at each other in completely different languages now. And they just give up on the building project. Like this stinks. We cannot talk. And so they all then disperse throughout the earth, God's original plan. So it led to confusion. Okay, God is recreating the world. He's breathing new life into the church. His presence is now here with human beings. Before it was just Jesus. Now it's spirit with everyone. And now he's equipping them with languages to carry out the assignment. Because he had said, I want you to go to the ends of the earth. If you speak perfect Parthenian, where are you gonna go? You're gonna go where the Parthenians live. Hey, I know your language. 
I got something to tell you. God's up to something here on planet Earth. It's this beautiful equipping. Rather than language leading to confusion, language leads to now I'm empowered to do the very thing that Jesus asked me to do. I want to conclude with just a few statements. Okay, a few statements. Number one, what does all of this mean? Number one, it means that you are not alone. You're not alone. What if, what if Jesus had come to earth, he defeated sin and death, he provided forgiveness for humanity, and then he just left? It'd just be us here alone trying to figure out what to do next. We'd be like the early church, just kind of hiding away in a room, uncertain about ourselves. Anybody ever feel like, I mean, not in this room, of course, this room, you're surrounded by people who are asking similar questions. But you go to school, you go to your workplace, and you feel peculiar. You feel like, I, I, I process the world differently than people process the world. I have different values. I, I believe things at the core. It defines who I am, and those aren't always popular beliefs. And how, what does it make you feel? It makes you feel a little bit intimidated. It makes you feel small. Part of what Acts chapter 2 says is this. You are not alone. God said, I'm going to give you a gift. And the gift is this is that God no longer is distant, far off, and heaven separated. And it's not even just Jesus who came as the God-man for 33 years. He lived in a time and a place, but he couldn't be everywhere. He says, this is now the plan for the future. That I would saturate people with my presence. I'd baptize them. I'd infiltrate them with who, with who I am so that wherever they go and what they do, whatever they do, they are not alone. There is a power working through them that is beyond anything that they could ever describe or comprehend. Second phrase is this. Now we have power to be his witnesses. We have power to be his witnesses. Here, here's what I know. I know that I've got nothing to give. I know myself pretty well. But if God is flowing through my life, if, if his presence is literally here, if this isn't just a story about some guy named Jesus who died and resurrected, if it's the ongoing story that God is working in the world today, you know what? Anything's possible. It can fill us with courage and hope. Third phrase. The spirit is not strange. The spirit is essential. One of the things I hope over the next few weeks is we get away from that. I get it. There's some transrational things here. I can't figure it all out. But without him, I've got nothing. Here's my last thought. Remember this. God's spirit to humanity is a gift. A gift. If you are a grandparent, an uncle, or maybe you have kids, there's a kid, you just, you just, you absolutely love this kid and you knew you had one gift to give them. Only one in the lifetime. You've got one gift to give this little person that you just adore. What would you give them? You'd take some time to think about it, wouldn't you? Is it, would it be a sum of cash or could that actually be detrimental? Do I give them some word of advice? Do I give them, what do I give them? What do I give them? After Jesus 
God has had one gift for his children. One. One. And the gift he gave is this. He said, the thing I want you to have more than anything else is just my presence. If I give you my spirit, we human beings and God can live in partnership. I won't be distant and far off somewhere in heaven. I'll be in the midst of your very life. The Spirit of God is a gift, a gift that changes everything. Will you pray with me? Lord, some of us in the room would say this. We feel like Adam before the breath of God. We're biologically alive and we know we need to be born in a new way. Born in the spirit, alive in you. And this is what Jesus offers. What he did on the cross makes new life possible. And if you're here and you just say this, Nate, I want to be born new. I want God to breathe into me the breath of life. If that's you, would you just boldly just raise your hand and wave at me? Just say, I need a second chance. I need forgiveness. Yes. Yes, yes ma'am. You're his. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anybody else making that decision? Yes, ma'am. Yes, you're his daughter right there as well. Yes, ma'am. My floor and in the balcony, if that's you, yeah, absolutely beautiful. You're bold, he's yours, you're his, he loves you. Yes, you're forgiven right now. Come alive, come alive, come alive. And for the rest of us, thank you for the gift you gave us. Help us to understand and to partner. <laughs> we ask that you would breathe into us. We ask that your presence would fall onto us. And we ask that life would be more than just our capacities and abilities. There would be something supernatural happening at all times. Amen. Amen. Hey, there were a bunch of people that made a really big commitment this morning. Would you applaud for them? So proud of you guys. Beautiful. Everybody, thank you so much for being here. God bless you. Be the hands, the feet, mouthpiece of Jesus. If you raise your hand, I'd love for you to grab a Bible. Head to one of those I Have Decided banners. They're free. Otherwise, see you soon. Love you. God bless. See you next week.